Hello, everyone. Um, uh, so this next panel is kind of going to pick up right where we were left off from the previous uh, session, and it's going to be thinking about sort of the, the new wave of omnibus, omnibus digital media platforms and digital content providers that are really reshaping the land for, landscape of uh, uh, contemporary African and African diaspora cultures and the way that um, we see them and, 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 um, and the way that uh, media takes shape in, in this world. Um, so joining us for this panel, uh, we'll, we welcome Claude Grzynski, who's the editor-in-chief of True Africa, uh, Guinea Suss, who's president and co-founder of OK Africa, um, uh, Antoinette Asama, OK Africa's associate editor, um, and both Jenny and Antoinette join us in Abiola OK's absence. Um, so I'll briefly sort of uh, introduce uh, uh, the panelists. Um, so moderating the conversation will be um, Okochukwu Smooth Nzui, uh, curator of African art at Dartmouth's Hood Museum, of art. Um, he holds a PhD in art history from Emory University and is the recipient of several academic fellowships, scholarships, and uh, artists' awards. Uh, he has cur curated major exhibitions in Nigeria, South Africa, the United States, um, and is most recently the and most recently at Dakar Biennial. Um, as a practicing artist, he has exhibited widely and participated in numerous uh, international artist residencies and workshops. His writings have appeared in journals and magazines, including African Arts, World Art, Nka, Kunstforum International, and he's the co-editor of New Spaces for Negotiating Art and Histories in Africa, 2015, a new volume of independent art, on independent art spaces in African cities. Um, uh, joining us uh, also is uh, Claude Grzynski, who's the founder of Trace and a foundering, uh, founder and editor-in-chief of True Africa, a new media platform raised in Lome, Togo, Washington, D.C., Paris, London, uh, 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 Paris and London. Claude speaks six, six languages and uh, carries three passports. Um, his exposure to these cultures has helped shape his um, transcultural philosophy and informed the creative energies of his media ventures. Um, uh, he's created, inter curated, and created international exhibitions in museums such as Musa in Vienna, and co-produced a documentary for the BBC. Um, and then um, Jenny Suss is the vice president of OKPlayer.com, as well as the president and co-founder of OKAfrica.com, two media companies redefining the way music, arts, culture are covered online. Um, over the past 11 years, she has worked for The Roots, of course, well known as hip-hop legends, but they're also, as well as the house band for The Tonight Show, currently, um, in various capacities. Um, she's helped to produce large-scale annual events, uh, such as the Roots Picnic and OK Africa's legendary launch event at Celebrate Brooklyn and Prospect Park, just to name a few. Um, she oversees OK Player and OK Africa's uh, original content, video content and has uh, created and produced many serial episodes, including OK Acoustics, the animated Storyville, Player Ex Exchange, and The Roots Of. Um, Jenny is also known for her photography, um, especially of live music events, and is recognized um, and is recognizable to readers of OK Player as the commentator um, Ginger Lynn. Uh, so, and, and then uh, rounding out the group is um, Antoinette Isama, a first-generation Nigerian with an interest in the intersections of media, African youth, arts, and the diaspora. Uh, growing up in the diverse DC suburb of Silver Spring, Maryland, helped shape her worldview regarding the importance of storytelling and its unique role in preserving culture. Uh, joining OK Africa as associate editor, she was the Weekend Argus's visiting reporter um, prior to that um, in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, she holds a master's degree specializing in interactive journalism 
uh, and magazine writing from Northwestern's, Northwestern University. Um, so please um, welcome our panelists. Thank you, G, for uh, that fantastic introduction. Um, thank you all for coming. Um, I'm wondering if I'm going to top uh, Cloud in your last, um, uh, your last panel, because it was really very incisive. Um, it was really informative. And so I hope our own panel will be able to um, build on some of the uh, strands that I, I picked upon from the last conversation. So, um, so we're looking at this. We're trying to look at uh, the uh, recent developments, I mean, uh, in the mediation of uh, African cultures, um, creating a, a totally beautiful ecosystem of, of, of African lifestyle, how Africans think about themselves. And, and the two big organizations that are currently doing that are, are OK Africa and True Africa. And um, so I want us to begin this conversation with uh, what sort of inspired uh, the journey. Uh, what led to the creation of uh, this omnibus setup? Uh, what led you to begin to think about how Africans can actually control um, the ways in which they represent themselves, the ways in which the world see, see themselves, and how they present themselves to the world? Cloud, we'll start with you. So, I mean, I, I just um, thank you very much for the intro, and thank you all for coming mm -hmm. and for staying. Um, the, the other thing I want to say, though, before we jump into it, is mm. we're small organizations. Mm. And the reason I want to insist on the fact that we're small media organizations is a lot of the bigger media organizations were writing about Africa or were covering Africa, but I just felt like it was extremely frustrating, the reports that would come out, mm. not just the factual mistakes, you know, but just the fact that a typical scenario would be somebody coming to, I guess, Accra. Right, and they would spend, a journalist would spend three days in Accra and write a story about Accra, right? And then they all of a sudden, they're specialists on Ghanaian culture. Mm. And because they've interviewed one or two taxi drivers, and I, I usually always get a call, you know? I always get a call at the last minute because they need somebody who's not living in Accra, mm. and I'm that guy. And then they'll get a quote and they'll write the story that is absolutely not informed by any of the experiences of people who actually live in Accra. And so because these large organizations realized that we needed more African coverage, they started doing this. And I got really frustrated by seeing the factual mistakes, the, the, the cultural sensibilities were not being respected, and the people who were, quote unquote, the experts, the journalists who were covering this, didn't know what they were talking about. Mm. Not everyone, of course. Mm. And, and one of the, the people who really spoke about this really eloquently is Howard French. Howard is a journalist that I have a huge amount of respect for. He uh, is African-American, but he, for the New York Times, he covered several African countries before he went to Japan and came back here. And he's like, it's really frustrating. He went on 60 Minutes to talk about this because you know, Africa is just this series of cliches and stereotypes that are always related to um, being uh, in, in, in constant suffering mode and trying to find a way out of the suffering mode. And I felt that organizations like OK Africa or True Africa could really bring a different perspective by really empowering the young voices that are also coming out of the continent and who really don't really get to express themselves. And I think that is at the root of, of what we're trying to do. So, I mean, you, from what you said, I just recall the, the term Afro-pessimism, which OK was uh, sort of popularized. Uh, mm -hmm. 
where he was talking about all the pathologies uh, associated with, with Africa. You know, so you have that on one hand, um, the, the, the civil strife, uh, the civil wars, the disease and all that, you know, and how you have that on one hand and you have Chimamanda Dichie's argument about uh, being wary of the, the single story because Africa is so complex and there's, there's a need to unfold those complexities uh, in Africa. So we have that, but also we have a platform like yours and that of OK Africa, trying to create a sense of uh, joy de vivre, sense of joy of life, mm -hmm. uh, presenting a totally different uh, perspective on the continent, but also helping to show the, uh, the diversity of experiences in Africa rather than that singular uh, story. And so, Jenny, um, obviously you're not African. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so why, so, so, so tell us, sort of tell us what led to, uh, to your interest yeah. and ultimately to OK Africa. Yeah, um, so first of all, I agree, I think that our, um, the mission of OK Africa is, is absolutely that, mm. uh, what, what, what you guys just talked about. But I think to understand it, you kind of have to understand the origin story mm. uh, of the company, which, um, you know, really came about from just a desire to uh, provide a platform um, for for creatives from the continent, for music, art, and culture that, that my partner and I thought were incredible. Um, that was really just the basic idea behind the company when it first started. Um, and, and the story really began with, it, it sort of from my personal history, which was I, um, I was a tour manager for The Roots. I was working for the band. Um, I, after a number of years, I got really involved with their web company, OK Player. Um, OK Player is a platform for left of center urban music, um, arts and culture, but it's really heavily focused on music. Um, if you think about the bubble of the um, late 90s and early 2000s, black conscious music, The Roots, Jill Scott, Erica Badu, Talib Kweli, Most Def, um, really defined the culture of OK Player. And it was all based around these message boards, which was early, uh, I like to call it pre-social networking, social networking, where people communicated on these chat boards. And it was, that was what OK Player was when I came to it. It was that with like a simple homepage that had a, that had a you know, photo of the day. It wasn't much, but there was a lot going on on these message boards. And it was really interesting to me. I saw the possibility of what it could become. I joined forces with, um, the current president, Dan Petruzzi, and we really built it into a full-service media company. A lot of original content, interviews, reviews, uh, original video production. We have a store, we have an online store. Um, we curate huge, large-scale events and small-scale events. Um, and uh, OK Player is now a big, a big cultural force. Uh, so fast forward a number of years, and um, a good friend of mine who I went to, to Williams College with, Vanessa, who's here in the front row, um, my partner was living in Sierra Leone. She did a lot of work in Africa. She worked for the UN, she did some aid work, she did uh, some media work, and she became close with a band in Sierra Leone, Baja and the Dryad Crew, who are a uh, hugely famous band in Sierra Leone. They were incredible. Um, they are incredible. Uh, and they, they came to her and said, we, I want you to manage us. She said, I know a lot about African history and politics, don't know a lot about the music industry, but mm. I have a good friend who does. Mm. So she came to me and asked if we could partner up. Mm. Um, I said, sure. I loved the, uh, she, I fell in love with the music very quickly. Um, over the years, I, I went to Sierra Leone a couple times, spent lengthy amounts of time there with Baja 
and the Dry Eye crew. Um, we went through a series of lab record label deals with the band. Um, that's, that's an entire other panel, yeah. <laughs> that journey. Um, but, you know, I felt deeply in love with um, first the music from Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. I had already had my own musical, music was a deep part of my life. I grew up listening to jazz and blues from the moment I was born for my family, um, you know, th through the roots. I was very, I was very, um, I DJ'd before I was on the road with the roots. Um, I have a deep love of all genres of music. My musical taste is extremely eclectic. I w um, in terms of African music, my really, my entree into African music was really only um, Fela and Afrobeat. That was really the music that I was in love with before I went to Sierra Leone with Baja. Baja opened up a whole new world of music for me. Um, when I was in Sierra Leone, I fell in love with Sierra Leonean music. Um, and then through that, a lot of uh, pop African music. And then through that, it just, it was like a cascade of um, learning about uh, what was happening on the continent, um, seeing youth culture, seeing really progressive arts culture. Um, and Vanessa and I would look at each other and say, look, look at this platform that we have with OK Player and what it's doing for um, music and arts and culture. We could do what's happening there for African culture and music especially. So um, we brought the idea to the roots and said, would you be interested in partnering with us on this? And and they were. Um, the idea from the beginning was to give a voice to those creatives on the platform, to give a voice to the musicians, to give, provide a platform for authentic, organic uh, artists, writers, filmmakers, creatives, musicians on the continent to have contributors on the ground um, contributing to this platform and have, have, a, have a community. We would go online and search for things. I mean, when we started the website in around 2010, there really wasn't anywhere to go to find the kind of uh, content that we're talking about today. Um, the way African media was presented, like you said, there was the Afro-pessimism. Africa was presented in the media, at least uh, that we were seeing in the mainstream media, uh, in largely extremely negative manner. Um, and when it was presented in a positive manner, it was a very niche slice. The music, it's, uh, in, in music culture, it was presented as world music. It was this box that you couldn't escape. If it was African music, it was world music. It was marketed toward older white people. It was packaged in a very specific way. Even the graphics were a very particular kind of graphic representation. There was nothing representing what we were seeing when we would go to Africa. There was nothing representing the diversity. There was nothing, you know, I was, see, I was looking at electronic music happening in Angola. I was looking at heavy metal happening in Kenya and dance music in South Africa. That wasn't being represented in the market and online and I couldn't find it anywhere. So we said, let's build a platform where you can find it. So that's kind of the origin story. And the other thing was nothing was, there was no platform that was presenting Africa as cool. And everything that we saw was cool. So we wanted to build a space where you could find what we thought was really interesting and cool. Um, and we wanted to build it um, as a community, OK Player, like I said from the beginning, was based around a community, these message boards. We wanted to build it as a community with contributors from the continent. We, I didn't want, ever want it to be me telling someone else's story. Like you said, I'm, 
highly aware that I'm not African, <laughs> and I'm also highly aware of my positionality. It's something we have to check every day, I think, working in this space. That was meant to be a joke. Yeah, anyway. I know, I know, I, I totally know. But, um, so I think that, um, you know, we always wanted it to be a space where it is a storytelling space. Okay. It's a space for um, stories to be told authentically mm. from the continent, mm. so. Okay. So yes, I mean, when I look at True Africa, uh, it has, I mean, it's, it has a journalistic uh, strain, but, be, but it's also, it grows beyond journalism, so to say. One also sees that with, um, with OK Africa. But then, there's a, a sense to which one would think that uh, what, is, what is on OK Africa and True Africa is they represent the urban aesthetics, you know? And I wonder, I'm throwing this question at Antoine, who's worked uh, in South Africa. Um, do you, do you, I mean, in South Africa, you have magazines like Chimurenga that is quite big on the continent. Uh, do you think uh, the reception of OK Africa and, and uh, True Africa also, that they occupy similar space uh, within the continent? Are people aware of uh, OK Africa and True Africa? I think people are definitely aware mm. of OK Africa and True Africa. Mm. Um, but what I've noticed during my short time in Cape Town was um, how the media, the direction the media is going in, mm. it's still, they're still kind of, they're pretty much where we were when OK Africa started in 2010. They're mm. just getting started with that. Mm. So I'd, I noticed I was at a newspaper, mm. so it's still very traditional. Mm. And it was a space that I learned about during my training. Um, so it was definitely an interesting space to be in. But regarding of the reception over there, it's definitely within the youth culture especially. Um, people are aware of what we do. Mm. And they are definitely reach out to us, especially mm. through social media. That's mm. how we even find out about cool things, about okay. what's going on. Mm. Um, but I think in regards to the, um, the space that I noticed, um, I think it's super niche that we, our platforms exist because they in turn can look to that for um, people that they can learn about. So, I will go back to you, Cloud. I want I want to I want you to um, to speak briefly on on your evolution uh, from as a as a as a social entrepreneur. Uh, started off as a journalist, got involved with all kinds of business, and then ultimately, uh, um, True Africa represents uh, a sense of uh, a cultural ideology and consciousness on your own part. You you it embodies your, what you believe in terms of bringing up the youth. And also merging uh, and, and and looking at an engagement with the youth technology, you know. So, can you tell me how that journey, uh, the difficulties in that sort of journey, the challenges, um, but also what sort of um, makes you feel? I'm really glad that I'm I'm walking this journey. I mean, uh, it's a really good question because I would say that there, for me, there's been two types of challenges, mm. very distinct challenges. Mm. The challenges linked to poverty mm. when I was a budding, starving, poor entrepreneur and the challenges linked to being more successful and more wealthy. And I want to talk about them successively. Okay. And it really, I'm glad you mentioned Okui and Wezar mm. because we really need to pay tribute to him. Because I met him when I was 17 years old mm. and everything that he was starting to do with Nka really inspired me and I wanted to be like him. Mm. And I haven't really made any big decisions from a business perspective really without consulting him, mm. really since I started this in this game 20 years ago. Mm. And what's really interesting is in the beginning, it was all about 
providing a space for expression mm. without oversimplifying it. Mm. Oh, Elkie was like, don't try to dumb it down for the audience. Mm. If this issue is complex, mm. then make it complex and try to help them to navigate it. Mm. And that is in journalistic integrity. Mm. So I'm a journalist who became an entrepreneur by default. Mm and I became a businessman. Mm. But then what happened was when Trace started becoming really big as a company, mm. you know, I started doing all these things and just thinking about making money and growing the business and mm. you know, the things that we do when we are ambitious in New York. Mm. And Oakley's like, you know what? It's, it's, you have to be careful now because you're just a businessman now. You're not even a journalist anymore. Mm. I don't really talk, I don't hear you talk about, with passion about these artists in the same way. Mm. And he says, the other thing that you're doing, which I don't like, is you're, you're too obsessed with the cool. You know, you're too obsessed with the newest, latest musician, artist. Mm. And it is true that I was obsessed with The Roots and I was obsessed at the beginning with Rihanna and all these people. Mm. But the reality is, if I call the trace, is because it was about tracing the roots. Okay. And what makes it really interesting is how you go back to where it all started. Mm. And so when I started thinking about my next media venture after I sold Trace, mm. I really wanted to root it in African culture, mm. not just because I'm a native son and I was born in Togo, mm. but I just felt that there was an entire um, history that was being completely disregarded mm. just because we see the finished product and mm. we consume it mm. as consumers, mm. and it's all about the cool. Mm. And because of the ephemeral nature of the cool mm. that I had spent so many years documenting, mm. I felt that we needed to be a little bit more historical. Mm. And so with True Africa, I really try to focus on a lot of unsung heroes mm. and people who are extremely relevant and who have major influence, but you've never heard of. Mm. And so it's not, you know, from a business perspective, mm. we have to be really, really careful. And I have, I would here, who's on the, on, on the, on the first uh, row, who's helping, really helping me to shape this publication. Mm. We know that there are certain articles about Premier League stars mm. or, uh, big Afrobeat starts that are going to do really well, mm. right? So it's almost like the 80-20 rule mm. where, you know, 20% of the, the subject is going to provide maybe 80% of the audience. Mm. But I'm really also interested in the articles that don't get a lot of traffic, mm. you know, and I think it's important to go back to what Oki had always said, mm. you also need to give them the proper real estate. Mm. And so we, in our Monday editorial meetings, we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we tell these stories even though we know we're not gonna get a lot of hits. Mm. And it's really extremely punishing in the digital media business yeah. where you have to keep growing all the time mm. from an audience perspective. Mm. Otherwise, you're considered a failure. Mm. So this is a really difficult game to be in, mm. but the sort of integrity, the litmus test for us mm. is do people who live on the African continent now, mm. the young people in their 20s, mm. do they think that this is really speaking to them? Mm. You know, or is it, gonna feel like an imported product mm. or somebody else's mm. kind of jaded perspective on what Africa should or could be. Yeah. So I think that editorial tone mm. is the single most important delineator. I, rec I recall in, your last, in the last panel where you talked about um, the lack of penetration of the internet uh, in Africa, uh, given that your, um, your organization is digitally driven. So I wonder, I mean, and of course the, um, the, I mean, the, um, the difficulties of doing business in Africa as well. Um, and the fact that the, the state or the government don't make anything easy, you know? And so I wonder if um, the attempt is to represent uh, Africa, but also to give back uh, to Africa. One gets the sense that your audience is a very um, 
Afropolitan, I hate that word, uh, an urban audience. And I wonder how uh, platforms such as yours and, uh, and OK Africa deal with the, uh, the divide between the urban context and the more rural context in terms of uh, content, in terms of uh, messaging, in terms of outreach as well. I mean, it's, it's, it, we have to be really careful mm. with this kind of terminology mm. because yeah, I mean, when, when Taya Selassie sort of wrote this essay, Bye 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 Car, about mm. Afropolitans, mm. she named five Afropolitans, and I was one of them. Mm. It was David Ajayi was the other one, mm. Shimamanda was the other one. Mm. And we've all kind of done well in our international careers, mm. right? And we always have found a way to reconnect with the continent in different ways, mm. right? But uh, there is a real danger of being disconnected mm. from the people who really are on the ground mm. and who really want their stories to be told. Mm. Because the reality is, the lifestyles that we have now mm. Or there's David Ajayi, myself, Chimamanda, you know, Taya mm. Selassie herself, mm. are very, very different mm. from a lot of the people who are our target demographics, right? Mm. Mm. And so I always, that's why I'm on the continent every single month, mm. like I'm going to Ghana again in, in about 10 days, working with young entrepreneurs, that's what I told you, Jenny, when we met, and helping to mentor them and helping the, to kind of hear from them as well and learn from them. Mm. Because honestly, what we see in London, what we see in New York, mm. is not necessarily what they're concerned mm. with. And so the way that they, they deal with scandal or gossip, yeah. you know, these are things that we have to be aware of. Mm. You know, and, the, and the way that they read a story is not the same. Mm. And the importance of a photograph, mm. right? And then the issues that they have perhaps downloading a video, mm. when it's going to take them an hour to download mm. a, a three-minute video. Mm. So these are things we have to think about if we're looking at that demographic. Mm. And we said, why, do you, why are you even bothering with the Africans on the continent? The money. And the CPMs, CPMs is cost per multiple. That's how we get paid on advertising on digital uh, platforms. The CPMs are so much higher in the diaspora markets. Yeah. So why are you even bothering with the continent? The CPMs are a lot lower. But you can't really be true African, be relevant, until, unless that is really your core audience. And so from my perspective, I almost feel like if we're relevant in Africa, we will also be relevant in the diaspora by default. Can you jump in here and turn it? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think that's been also one of our, you know, quickly after we started, we um, grew from being primarily music fo focused to mm. being having a much broader range of uh, where arts, culture, politics, news, um, we talk about everything, literature, film, um, and it's, and it's, it's exciting. Um, I think on, on OK Africa, the kind of content we have now is the kind of content I always dreamed about being able to see on the internet. You know, I, ju just today I go to our website and there's a story about, um, you know, um, about uh, dandies and the representation of dandies in the diaspora mm -hmm. and, and what that looks like and how it's subverting ideals of uh, masculinity mm -hmm. and gender. Mm -hmm. I love reading about um, stories that are kind of subverting the, the narrative. Mm. Um, the mainstream narrative, we're challenging that every day on our site. And I think that's something that is exciting not only in the diaspora, but on the continent. And I think that um, that's something that the youth culture is hungry for on the mm. continent. That's some of the feedback that we've gotten, that um, the youth culture is excited for that kind of content. Um, so we're really excited to be expanding to the continent itself. I think okay. we've grown uh, quite a bit in the last five years here um, in North America. Um, and we're now, we're actually opening an office right now in Johannesburg, okay. um, and soon after that in Lagos. So we're really excited to be, have a more of a presence on the ground mm. on the continent mm. um, and be developing more content. Um, you know, we have so many
many contributors on the ground, but mm. to have a physical presence mm. to, to be the kind of events that we curate here, mm. to be able to do that on the ground. Mm. Um, that's a real goal and a real mission. That's mm. been a challenge for us to be mm. able to do that here from, from you know, mm. living here in New York. Mm. So to be able to have um, a home base in Africa is a goal for us. Is there sort of a metric uh, uh, for you with which you gauge uh, the response of um, the audience on the continent to the sort of content you generate? Is that sort of a metric? I mean, how do you, how do you gauge or get a sense of the reception or the consumption of the content of, uh, of, of True Africa, for example? Well, I think in our case, uh, there's three different types of metrics. Okay. Uh, Wood knows about our Google Analytics obsession, mm. and we know that our three biggest markets are day in, day out, Kenya number one, Nigeria number two, South Africa number three, and then come US and UK, okay. and then Ghana. Mm. And so we know that no matter what we do, those three countries are driving our traffic. Mm. So my job is to really understand how young Nigerians, how young Kenyans in Nairobi, mm. how young South Africans in Cape Town, Johannesburg think. Mm. What are they obsessed with? Mm. How are they thinking about sexuality? Mm. How are they thinking about identity? Mm. How are they thinking about, you know, homosexuality, mm. for instance. Mm. I mean, I remember the first day we, we came out, we published an article about the lesbian scene in Lagos. Mm. And I have a friend, somebody that I considered a friend, mm. I've known for a very long time, mm. very educated, mm. who's the director of the UNDP in a very important African country. Mm. He's like, oh, so now you're just gonna be pushing the white people's agenda? That's your thing now? You're gonna be pushing white people's sexuality, <laughs> homosexuality on your platform? Is that what mm. you're about to, to mm. do? Mm. Said, well, no, we have to talk about these issues, yeah. you know, and mm. we have to talk about it also from an African perspective. Because mm. that piece was written by a lesbian living in Lagos, mm. and she mm. talked about the underground scene, yeah. you know. And so sometimes it's so frustrating mm. dealing with these archaic mentalities mm. that some of the elder Africans are still carrying, mm. you know. And I get so much hate mail, you know, from certain people mm. that when I talk about these issues, either politically mm. driven or kind of sexuality driven. Mm. So when I talk to younger Africans, I'm talking about the young adults in their early 20s, mm. they don't think in that way mm. because they're exposed to so much more mm. because of their access to social media mm. and all this user-generated content mm. on Facebook. Mm. And because that's all they do all day long is checking out Facebook, I'm like, there are other things that you should be looking at outside mm. of Facebook, mm. right? So then what we try to do is try to infiltrate it Right, mm. and Facebook is now our biggest driver of traffic, uh -huh. and and we find ways to look at what they're interested in, mm. and then, you know, social media becomes the conduit to some of our articles. Mm. And then number two, I would have to say, uh, just general listening to conversations and mm. what people are saying about us, mm. right, and accepting the criticism. Mm. You know, there was a point in my life when I was a young publisher, where I would get so upset when people criticize our articles. Yeah. You know, now I welcome the criticism. Mm. And I think that we're really open to that kind of criticism. And mm. I think, again, social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, mm. are really good with that. Mm. Some of the chats that we have on Viber in our open sessions mm. are really good for that as well. Mm. And I guess the third thing is, um, in terms of like where we stand in the general kind of media landscape, mm. you know, I don't really look at it the way I used to look at it with Trace, or mm. in terms of like, oh, the bigger audience, the, you know. I want to kind of look at who's reading True Africa. Mm. You know, are we really reaching the influencers? Are we really reaching Use the, the people who are actually trying to make things happen on the continent? Mm. Are the young entrepreneurs, the young creatives, mm. uh, are they looking at us for ideas? Mm. Or is it just another vanity project that is obsessed with the cool? Okay. 
And is it the same situation with OKAF? Is your, your big market uh, uh, Nigeria, South Africa, and, and Kenya? Yeah, on the continent, for sure. We have, mm -hmm. I think, very similar major markets mm -hmm. on the continent, 100%. Um, and uh, I think those are the markets that are most plugged into what's happening in digital media right now, for sure. I think one, one thing to think about, too, is like consumption, how people consume media. We're constantly thinking about, for example, on the continent, mo People are consuming media through mobile much more than through uh, their computers. Here it's all about you know, redesigning your website and having it look great on your laptop. And when you're thinking about the redesign um, on the continent, you're thinking about your, your mobile app and how it's being consumed and how easily people can maybe download a song or how, how the video is going to upload your, to your phone. Um, so that's you know just another way to think about like how you're consuming um, the media. But also I think it's true we've gotten you know so we face so many of the similar problems trying to stay you know we're in our kind of New York bubble of progressive ideals here and and we ta we're talking about queer activism all the time on the site mm -hmm. um, and but we try to as Claude said keep it true to. Um, an African perspective, but by African, there are 54 countries, mm. and we try to be authentic to that as well, and to s see that there are different perspectives coming from all over the continent. Um, we had a great story about um, a cover, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis had the song Same Love when the um, same love, uh, when, when the same-sex marriage bill was passed, mm. and there was a cover by a group in, a queer activist group in Kenya, Art Attack, and, you know, that it, it was amazing. They did this cover, and that was, you know, a activist group of young Kenyans, mm. of young queer activists, mm. and um, we, we uh, are allies with Wangechi Mutu, a Kenyan artist. Mm. Um, we're allies with her Africa's Out movement that does a lot of support and, and, and shows a lot of support to... Um, queer activism on the continent. So I think, um, and, and we have had criticism of people saying, well, that's not really how we think about things on the continent, but it is how some of the we on the continent do think about things. It just depends which we we're talking about um, and, and whose story's being told. So is there a balance in terms of uh, telling the multiple stories? Um, I mean, so there's, there's, there's an emphasis on driving the progressive agenda, which, which I think should be the way. Um, so is there also a room for the conservative um, um, agenda? I mean, say, the older people, for example, on, on uh, the two platforms, or should the consumption be just uh, trained at, at, at a certain segment um, of society, the young people? For yeah, I, and, and the answer from our perspective is no. Okay. Uh, we're not catering to the audience, mm. and we're not trying to be all things to all people. Mm. We are only catering to young Africans on the continent mm. and in the diaspora who we consider to be progressive and mm. who want to hear informed opinions about these topics that we care about. Mm. And they're usually related to identity, mm. and as I mentioned, sexuality, mm. entrepreneurship, trying mm. to find a way mm. in, and, you know, find a job, mm. you know, dating, living in the metropolis. Mm. You know, because we realize that a lot of our audience is still in the metropolis because one of the issues we have in Africa is access to the internet connectivity mm. is really difficult mm. when you're in the rural areas mm. because a lot of these telcos don't invest mm. and they don't put the towers where they should be putting them. So we're over-indexing mm. on the major cities, right? Mm. And so we know that that's our audience in mm. the beginning. Mm. But the business plan for True Africa is not the same for Trace, which mm. was predicated on huge growth all the time mm. because that's how we had to satisfy our investors. Yeah. This one 
because it's a much smaller company, mm. we really want to be extremely relevant to a small segment. Right. Okay. You know, and we even actually in the business plan define it as 2.3% of the young African audience. Okay. You know, and, and that's how you know, we will measure success. Okay. So Antoinette, can you, I mean, so far, there's a sense to which I think the, there's an emphasis on sub-Saharan Africa, I mean, in terms of the market um, for OK Africa, true Africa, you know. Um, so what is the response from, from, from North Africa, for example, to, to, this, this, uh, to the platform, to the OK Africa platform? That is definitely one region, <clears throat> excuse me, on the continent that we have been paying attention to as of the past couple months. Mm. Um, we have been working with a lot of artists in Egypt, mm. um, and we are looking at contributors, contributors on the ground to look into what's going on over there, any mm. interesting things happening in the scene over there that would be of a good fit for us. So that's mm. definitely in the works. Mm. Um, we also are well aware of the language barrier. We're obviously an Anglophone platform, and we also want to reach out to our Lusophone and Francophone brothers and sisters as well. Mm. And so that is definitely an area of which we would like to produce more content mm. with, too. And so do you have a similar struggle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so s interesting how similar our <laughs> challenges and opportunities are. And because I remember in that first week, yeah. uh, and again, the first day we published an article on Zanella Moholi, the mm. South African lesbian activist, mm. and we had the thing about lesbians in Lagos, mm. and then um, we didn't have any articles about the Maghreb. Mm. And so I have a Moroccan friend who sent me a very long email saying, what about us? We're African too, <laughs> you know? And so that was really early criticism, mm. and that's why we started publishing more articles, maybe too many articles in Tunisia, oh. uh, okay. and uh, articles on, on Morocco, mm. Egypt, and, and, and so on, mm. and because they also have a really interesting point of view. Mm. But when you really talk to the North Africans, you know, they are kind of torn between the Arab identity mm. and the Arabic identity and then the, the African mm. identity. Mm. And some are able to embrace both, mm. but you have to be very, very specific in terms of the tone mm. and, and the kind of semantics that you use to kind of draw them in mm. because they're extremely visceral in their attacks. Mm. Because right now, you know, some of the big topics that are in Europe right now is related to migration and terrorism mm. and so yeah. on, they become very, very yeah. sensitive, yeah. specifically the ones living in the, in the diaspora, mm. just because they've been stigmatized so much, mm -hmm. right? So as Africans dealing with some of the same issues, mm. we have to be extremely careful mm. about how we write it. And so the best way to do it is to identify writers like Saad, who, again, are native sons. Mm. Um, Saad is one of our writers. He's from Morocco. He mm. lives in London, but he's back and forth. Mm. And when he writes about or talks about a film like Much Loved. Has anybody seen the film Much Loved or heard about it? Much Loved is um, uh, a Moroccan film that made a lot of noise at the Cannes Film Festival last year about the prostitution scene in, in, in Marrakesh, yeah, which, which, you know, which was banned by yeah, the king of Morocco. The, yeah, it was screening? Yeah, it was screened at Dartmouth. The it day. was screened yeah. at Dartmouth, so yeah. you guys, you guys yeah. are on the beat. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it, it you know, you speak to 10 different Moroccans, you'll get mm. 10 different opinions, right? Mm. So. We'll choose somebody like Saad because he's a filmmaker himself, mm. because he's an entrepreneur, mm. because he's lived in, 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 in different countries mm. uh, to help us understand how our readers should or could feel about this film Much Loved, mm. right? Which is a really interesting okay. film. Mm. But just writing the very kind of obvious Le Monde or Guardian narrative about, oh, the prostitution scene is finally getting, mm. you know, uh, the kind of limelight that it deserves mm. is to us uh, so obvious that we stay away from it. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I, you know, want to say something? I just wanted to say that although we are always on the side of progressive issues, mm. while we are always, we'll always align ourselves with human rights, um, 
and, and forward thinking ideals. Mm. When you talked about, um, you know, the older generation, mm. we 100% still are still super interested in, in the legends um, who helped create like the youth culture today. Mm. We talk about Hugh Masekela and, mm. and Baba Mall mm. and Angelique Kidjo mm. and Miriam Makiba and mm. you know, so we, we, you know, from musicians, artists, activists, mm. um, who paved the way mm. um, from the continent. So I just wanna make clear that we are, we are still, um, although we are more oriented with mm. sort of youth culture, we still um, understand that they are super interested mm. in hearing about these incredible artists mm. who um, came before them mm. and were innovators mm. and um, led the way. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have uh, other questions, but I, I think it's, it's, it's about time we open it up to, to the audience um, so that um, it wouldn't be smooth talking to you guys alone, you know. Um, so questions. I mean, it, it makes sense. Uh, um, two things before, yeah. So I, I was re reading either on, on, I think it was on True Africa, um, some uh, a setting where it was um, a party, um, and it was uh, some white folks involved in social entrepreneur, um, and they wanted to present uh, vegetarianism as a cool, you know? Um, and so you invite Senegalese, uh, people whose mainstay is, is beef, you know? And then you say you want to empower youth, you know, uh, by shifting their, their uh, I mean, shifting their, shifting their mindset from how they view their lifestyle, which is contingent on, on the beef. Not only does it provide um, uh, food for them, but also it provides uh, economic resources that you want to move that away without factoring in the fact that um, it's gonna affect uh, the country economically. All this is to say that um, issues are always particular or germane to the, its context, you know? So the issue of gentrification might not be uh, quite the, the issue in, in Africa, for example. I know uh, you had a conversation with the Yan Mare group, for example, in Senegal, who, who were, it's a protest group, a group of hip hop artists who were very, um, they were very fundamental to uh, the, the, the last, um, say, regime change in Senegal, for example. They, they, led, they, they, were, they were the activists that, 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 that led 
um, that actually basically kicked out the government uh, out of power. And also, you've also had a conversation with another group in um, Ouagadougou that were also involved in the protest movement uh, that sought to the to uh, the. Um, to uh, the former president of Burkina Faso, living government, uh, Blaise Comperin. Can you, can you talk about that? That's a, I'm glad you mentioned mm. that because that's a story that, mm. that, I, that, I, that really matters to me. Mm. You know, I come from a family of very successful politicians, mm. you know, heads of state and so on, and I withdrew from that world just mm. to focus on media mm. because I could see that they were just obsessed with holding on to power. Mm. And this is something that really um, shaped me. Mm. growing up. Mm. And so when I interviewed these guys from Dakar, from Ouagadougou, mm. and actually also from uh, Kinshasa mm. and, 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 and Brazzaville, mm. it, what I was found really interesting is that the, 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 the people from Yanamar and Dakar mm. had actually formed an alliance with the people from Balais Citoyen in, um, in, in uh, um, Ouagadougou, Ouagadougou yeah. and then who also then formed an alliance and helped with the Filimbi people in Congo. Wow. So then all of a sudden you had this kind of um, trans-border active solidarities between mm. freedom fighters that started as just regular street activists. Yeah. You know, and that reminded me, wow, it's great that it's happening trans-border like that in Africa, mm. but a lot of people don't remember that Martin Luther King actually went in 1967 to the independence celebrations in Accra. Uh, yeah. You know, people don't know that, mm. you know, even African-Americans participated in some of these liberation movements. Mm. So what I'm trying to do uh, to make it interesting, mm. you know, for the young people who maybe don't have this kind of historical context, mm. is to see how we can connect the dots mm. by linking a lot of these movements on the continent mm. with what's happening in Brazil, mm. what's happening here with the Black Lives, mm. with Black Lives Matter movement, mm. and see how we can, you know, transculturally mm. empower kind of black culture, mm. you know, but with real meaning. Mm. You know, and I know Beyonce is doing it really well with her thing, mm. but I think we need to take it a little bit further than formation, mm. you know? And so, and so, you know, it really, for me, mm. I, I have very little patience for these journalists, as I mm. said, who just show up for two or three days. Mm. I want to really spend time with them mm. and understand, you know, the genesis. Mm. Who are their heroes? Mm. It's not always the people that we think they are. Mm. You know, it's, um, I would and I, we're, we're, we've been spending time um, talking about Cabral, mm. you know, because I have a friend who, who is making a documentary on Cabral. Mm. And I spoke to so many young Africans, they've never heard of Cabral. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and, but then when you went to Cape Verde a few weeks ago, you realized that a lot of the young rappers were inspired by Cabral. Cabral yeah. So I, I guess, you know, if we're going to be tracing these roots and, and, and really writing stories that resonate mm. transcontinentally, mm. then we have to find the roots of, of, of the movements mm. by identifying who the people are, mm. but also make them digestible to a young audience, mm. and that usually goes through hip hop, mm. right? So we have to find music as the conduit to a lot of these uh, stories that we publish. Can we have more questions? Can you tell, can you start off with your name? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, as someone who deals with having dual identities, multiple identities, that's something that I keep in mind. Um, but I also don't knock my bias. I'm well aware of my bias. And I think it kind of questions the notion of objectivity and what that really is and how that really isn't a thing. Because at the end of the day, you still have your bias. So as long as you're fair, as long as you present both sides, as long as you do the research, you do the work, um, you actually, um, even when it comes to assigning pieces to writers, making sure that they're the right people to tell that story. Mm. Um, you have to keep all of that in mind in terms of the con content we produce. Mm. Um, and also, as someone who is obviously all the way over here, um, my upbringing and my experience and the work that I've done doesn't necessarily knock what I know about the continent and even um, all our other writers of the diaspora too. We are very well aware of what's going on back home. We want to be home. And so th these digital spaces help us connect with that in that regard. So, so, so how, do you, how do you identify your, your content providers? Um, do people bring um, content to you or you, you consciously seek out uh, certain content? It's a mixture of both for yeah. us. Well, it, it, yeah, same for us. Mm. Yeah, we're seeking out content, mm. and uh, we've encouraged, we've you know, published many, many articles on, on social media mm. to encourage people to contact us, mm. and, and then we have our network, right? Mm. I mean, I've, again, I've been doing this for 20 years, so mm. I, you know, I know who the writers are, but then they also need to recommend other writers. Mm. Right? So, and, and, and also, sometimes we take a chance on people who, have, who don't really have a real journalistic career, mm. and they're young writers. Yeah. So it takes a lot longer to edit their pieces. I mean, mm. this is what we deal with, right? Mm. And it's a lot of kind of heavy lifting sometimes. Mm. But that's the only way you're going to get the authenticity from yeah. their perspective, mm. because they're living to tell the tale. Mm. And, also, and also, to that point, having artists themselves contribute who mm. may not be writers themselves, but mm. who you're really interested to hear their first-person perspective. It's right. So, I mean, uh, your two, the two organizations are about the biggest. Um, I, mean, I mean, you call it a small organization. I mean, that's relative. I mean, um, it's small when you compare that to other uh, big uh, media companies. Uh, but in terms of what you do, I think um, the two organizations are the giants, you know. So, how, what is the nature of the relationship between the two organizations? <laughs> are you guys rivals? Or <laughs> it's interesting. I'll let you start, and then, uh, and then I can add to that. <laughs> Let's get the boxing. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a new. It's a, true. Africa is very new. Mm. So we've we were one of the first kind of in the space doing this. What, like I said, when we came around, there mm. weren't many other people doing what we were doing. So there, you know, there weren't a lot of these conversations. Mm. We, mm. you know, we love having allies in the space. Mm. We love partnering. Mm. We love creating um, collaborations. Mm. So, you know, we've known Claude for a long time. We love what Claude did with Trace. And I think that we are excited to see what he's doing. And I think that we haven't really had this conversation yet. Like, True Africa came along very recently, and we haven't even met, seen each other since then. Because um, the, the other part of the story is that we actually actually had met at some point about collaborating, yeah. uh, you know, even more in terms of even capitalistically working together on OK Africa, uh, on okay Africa yeah. and True Africa. So we had many meetings about that mm. um, with some of the owners of, of uh, I certainly I did mm. with uh, some of the of the other owners of, yeah. of OK Africa. But the, the reality is, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the bigger landscape, right? 
the CNN and BBC, and these are the, like the big Western organizations that people kind of turn to when they, you know, if you Google whatever story uh, that's the big story of the day in Africa, we don't come up yet, right? So I do agree that at some point, we're gonna have to find a way to join forces, including with publications like Chimurenga that you mentioned. Yeah. You know, Chimurenga is my favorite magazine on the continent. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit highbrow for certain people, but they're really talking about some of the real issues, yeah. right? So I think um, the strength in numbers thing yeah. is a dialogue that we need to kind of explore yeah. at some point. I mean, 100%, and I also think that there's plenty of room for, you know, we're excited for everyone in the space. We. We collaborate all the time with people who are doing uh, like-minded things in our space. I mean, I could rattle off <laughs> so many people that we've collaborated with. Um, and I think that we always like to approach it like there's um, room for an alliance. Thank you. So along that same vein, I know there are a couple of um, uh, bloggers on the continent that are actually doing well. I mean, they, they have their own revenue streams and they if, actually even get cited on CNN. I know Linda Ikeji, for example, which is one of the I mean, most popular blog, uh, bloggers uh, in Nigeria. So, I mean, and they are on the ground. I mean, when you, at times uh, when you need news on the go, you go to Linda Ikeji, for example, the news is there, you know. Um, uh, some of the news that you, you, one may not find on tr OK Africa, True Africa, for example, say there's a skirmish somewhere and all that, you find that on, on that sort of uh, small-scale platform. And so in terms of collaboration, I mean, you have the two giants. Um, would there be chances in the future to think about collaborations with much smaller uh, uh, organizations? Um, I mean, one-man organizations like, like Linda Cage, for example. And you find a couple of them in, in Kenya as well, and, and, and in Ghana, for example. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I mean, we love that. That's how we started. You know, mm. we have, um, you look at a small record label in Ghana, like mm. Aquaba Records. Mm. You know, they're a small operation doing their own thing. When we first started, those were the tiny organizations that no one knew about that we were collaborating with and writing about. And, you know, that's how OK Africa grew to be what we were, mm. were by looking at small bloggers, looking mm. at small record labels, looking mm. at small media companies, mm. and collaborating with them, writing about them. Um, you know, doing stories together, doing events together. Mm. Um, we have a, a event series called uh, OK Africa Electra Afrique with mm. um, a variety of DJs that, you know, has been in Nairobi and Dakar, mm. has been on the, on the ground on the continent and here in New York, um, various other states too. And, you know, that started with collaboration, so. And so how would you envision the future of True Africa, for example, uh, and OK Africa, I mean, how would you in imagine the burgeoning landscape and how would you situate, uh, I mean, say, cast in mind uh, into the future? Uh, I, you know, 20, 50 years from now. 20, uh, 50 years from now. How would you, I mean, you, would you become the, would you have replaced CNN and, and, and the BBC in terms of content that has to do with Africa? And in, in terms of the reception of those con uh, content, because there's a sense to which people think when, the, I mean, of course, I mean, news on CNN or BBC is credible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the news, you know. News elsewhere uh, is not exactly that news, you know. And so in terms of uh, having that, uh, l I mean, of course, I, I think the news that comes out of those two platforms are very important. But in terms of having that uh, universal credibility um, across board, mm -hmm. that's if one wants uh, the real content, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if the person is African or not. You want this, the true content about what is happening in Africa or mm -hmm. content about Africa. This is why I go, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, from maybe because I come from a more of a print uh, background initially, mm. I'm gonna be biased. Mm. And if I, I always model myself after people who I highly respect. I talk about Okui and Kai, mm. what he's been doing, mm. and and he's always been very important in my life mm. as, as as a mentor as well. Mm. But from a business perspective, if uh, True Africa can become what the New Yorker is mm. for New York, mm. you know, it's not the most uh, uh, widely read publication mm. in the world, mm. but it's extremely relevant not just to New Yorkers, but to people around the world who kind of share that New Yorker sensibility. Mm. So if, even if we're coming from an African mm. standpoint and we're writing about youth culture in Africa, mm. I think, as you said, 30, 40, 50, 50 years mm. from now, perhaps we can be relevant to the whole world mm. as they look at Africa. Mm. Almost like the New Yorkers started writing the talk of the town and mm. things about New York City mm. and the five boroughs, mm. but now they're writing about everything. Mm. And I think their digital platform is really interesting. Mm. So, of course, they're dealing with demographic people who are maybe uh, super educated mm. and, and a little bit more disposable income, mm. and Africa is not there yet, mm. but I'm hoping that as we ride the wave of development, mm. we can uh, empower a lot of uh, an entire creative class mm. and we become their vehicle. I mean, for OK Africa, it's very similar. I, I would like us to be something modeled like the the NPR, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, with a dose of like, you know, um, the one thing that's missing from that equation is like our angle that is, you know, very fresh and cutting edge and and current and cool. That's kind of I don't think any of the, any of those uh, platforms are just sort of, that's not the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the, <laughs> those platforms. Mm -hmm. So um, that would have to be kind of poured into the mixture a little bit. And at what point uh, do you think we will move away from uh, the generic label of Africa? Because um, it, it, it comes with its own uh, problems as well. You know, you mentioned New Yorker, for example. Um, it's New Yorker, but it's, it's, it's uh, global, you know. Um, you mentioned New York Times, for example, NPR and all that. So at, so at what point will the do we begin to detach the moniker Africa from some of the things we do? I know there's a reason for that. I mean, it serves a purpose. Uh, but do you think the, pop, the, the purpose of, of, of that will remain valid uh, 20, 50 years from now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, it was really important to have Africa in the brand in the mm. way that you have OK Africa in the brand. Mm. And if I look at how I feel about the New York Times, mm. or as I mentioned, the New Yorker, mm. I mean, people think of New York, they think of ambition, they think of success, mm. they think of um, uh, immigrants who come here and, and do whatever they need to do, mm. they think of excellence. Mm. And I think that as mediators, mm. because we're in this media space, mm. it's almost like our responsibility to change the perceptions of Africa, mm. so that maybe 50 years from now, when people think of Africa, they'll be thinking, oh wow, like New York, you know, which is a certain set of values, which for me, the values that I care about are values related to love, solidarity, friendship, generosity, mm. you know, hospitality, some mm. of the things that Africa stands for, mm. but never gets credit for. Mm. Can I, can I ask a question? Please do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, I think, no, I think, yeah. How do we think of Africa, right, in all its complexities, yeah. without kind of falling into the obvious labels by people to say, I'm going to Africa as if Africa were a country to talk about another me. Well, for me, it's almost like the complexity of New York City, right? If you're in the Bronx and you're Staten Island, Brooklyn, you know, the city is so complex, has so much, that I think we can even extrapolate what's happening on a city level all the way to a continent. You know, and I think that you can have that Africa brand because it's a very powerful word that we all relate to, right? But you can show the complexities and the different um, uh, cultural norms, right? And because, I mean, I was born in Lome, which is right on the border of Ghana. Yeah. And so sometimes when we run out of CFAs in the ATMs in, in Togo, we just go across the, the, the border to Ghana, we take cities and we come back and we convert them at the border, right? So it really is the same country, right, really. But people speak a different language and so on. And so the job, I think, today of a journalist is to explain how those people living on two different sides of the border, how they see life differently and how they explain the way they live now. I think that's like a big challenge. I think that's a huge challenge, and I think that's something that we tackle every day. And I think that the best answer is through through narrative, through storytelling. I think when the journalists, you know, really dive in and approach, there are a lot of stories. There are plenty of stories on OK Africa that uh, address things happening in very specific countries. When we're talking about um, a, a film like They Will Have to Kill Us First that deals with what happened in Mali, um, you know, and, and, and what happened when, when um, they... Uh, with the violence in Mali and 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 um, Sharia law and no music and we fo it follows the tale of four different um, uh, Malayan musicians and and their journey uh, when Sharia law was imposed in the north and they had to you know th their their entire lives and their careers they were musicians were based around making music and they couldn't anymore and they were in exile and it was their journey to to, to return home after that and and some of them their careers flourished and some of them didn't and um that was very specific to one country and one struggle um and then we have stories that are really um pan-african stories right so there are stories of for people living in the diaspora people displaced people people who don't know exactly where they're from on the continent so i think it's like a really complicated, complex thing that we have to think about, um, and it's all uh, comes down to the the journalist and the storytelling and the narrative and how someone tackles each individual story. That's kind of the best answer I have. <laughs> but I, I want to maybe add to that because you mentioned a really good example, which is the Ebola story, right? And I mean, I was I would do a lot of work in Guinea, and I would go to Conakry very often. And when we were going to Conakry during the Ebola crisis and reading all these stories for all these people who hadn't been to Guinea, and they kept you know, quoting other journalists who actually were on the ground, this is when you see the need for real journalism. And it gets very frustrating to have to read these stories, these people who don't even show up, and we're on the ground, right? And then they're gonna tell us what Africa is experiencing. I, I, I completely agree with Claude, and I just would like to say, my partner who's sitting here, Vanessa, she lived for many years in Sierra Leone. She's very familiar with, with the culture and, and the people, I lived for a very short time there um, as well with her, and she went back 
to Sierra Leone during Ebola, during the crisis, and did some firsthand reporting in a beautiful video series we had, we have on the site called Ebola on the Ground, just lifestyle reporting, what was actually going on on the ground from the perspective of people living there, people she knew and cared about and loved, and also people she just met. Um, and it was some of the most beautiful storytelling I'd ever seen. Um, we, you know, every day you turn on CNN and it was just about death and horror. Um, and and you never saw the other side. You never saw people who were coming together and surviving and living and what this crisis was actually doing to small villages, to towns, to Freetown, to the city. Um, and so she said, we have to do this. I'm going. And we said, are you sure you're going? <laughs> um, she said, I'm going. And he said, okay, be really careful and don't come back to the office till your month in quarantine is done. <laughs> um, but it was really a really scary and brave thing. Um, and that's the kind of storytelling that we want to be, that we want to be doing. I mean, we can take one more question and... Um... Exactly. I mean, this is the difficulty, right? So if I interview someone like um, Suleiman Bashir Dian, who's a very important philosopher, he uh, teaches at Columbia University, he's from Senegal, and he talks about Islam, right? So when I talk to him about Islam, I'm not going to maybe, I'm going to talk to Avicen or some of the, you know, Islamic thinkers from the past, I'm going to ask him about, you know, how uh, the misperceptions of Islam today can help young people to make better decisions, young uh, Muslims, basically. So we always find a way to anchor it into the experience of a young reader, somebody in their 20s who's still trying to figure out their own way in life. And I think that that's how we can become a bit of a friend to the reader. As a publication, you know, we, we, we need to be a resource so that they can kind of, I guess, use us to make decisions on living a better life, right? Or, or being more informed, or being happier, or whatever. And so, you can start from the perspective of, of uh, somebody who's an expert, an authority, but it should never be over-intellectualized. And that's one of the, actually, arguments I've had with Oakley over the years. I told him I felt like his stories were a little bit too intellectual. And then by making it too intellectual, then you're actually excluding about 80% of the audience. So because we come from pop culture, because I grew up in hip-hop culture the way you do, you know, we know what they're interested in, but then so we'd give him food and we'd give him wine. <laughs> on that note, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're gonna end on that note. Thank you, Cloud. Thank you, uh, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you, Antoinette. Thank you all for coming. Thank you.